Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm David Lyman. Today in our feature, Enrique Sanz from the Indiana Environmental Reporter, talks about the administration's attempts to short-circuit the infrastructure approval process. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. The Australian Supreme Court has stepped in to put an immediate halt to a logging project in East Victoria while it waits for cases about the health of native species to be heard in court, according to the Brisbane Times. The state logging agency Vic Forests must immediately stop logging several areas that were earmarked for clear-cutting. Environmentalists had argued that the devastation from the fires in East Gippsland had put an inordinate amount of strain on native species in Victoria. They argued that areas that were left unscathed must not be logged while surviving animals try to find a new habitat, such as the Australian Broadcasting Company reported. Justice Kate McMillan said there was, quote, a real threat of a serious or irreversible damage to threatened species and their habitat should harvesting operations continue, end quote. According to the Australian Broadcasting Company, quote, the recent bushfires have caused extensive environmental damage, the severity of which is only beginning to be understood, end quote. Greta Thunberg, the 17-year-old from Sweden, has become a spokesperson activist on the issue of climate change. You could almost say it's in her genes. As a matter of fact, one of her ancestors was instrumental in understanding climate change. The first person to offer a detailed relationship between CO2 and temperature was Cervante Arrhenius, a physicist, chemist, who was born in 1859. He won the Nobel Prize in 1903 and became director of the Nobel Institute two years later, serving until his death in 1927. Arrhenius was the first to use basic principles to estimate the extent to which increases in atmospheric carbon dioxide are responsible for the Earth's increasing surface temperature. In a publication in 1896, Arrhenius proposed that additional CO2 should be generated because it would warm the world and create more farmable land. At the time, the CO2 content in the atmosphere was 294 parts per million, or ppm. From 1890 to 1900, the CO2 content increased by 1 ppm. From 2010 to present, the CO2 level has increased by 25 ppm. In work since Arrhenius studies have revealed that there can be too much of a good thing. Excess CO2 leads to harmful global warming. The ideal amount of CO2 is 350 ppm. That's enough to warm the globe a little without triggering staggering harmful effects. The CO2 level now stands at 414 ppm. 
So how is Ms. Turnberg related to all of this? If you look at the Nobel Prize website page, Svante August Arrhenius was born in 1859, the son of Svante Gustav Arrhenius and Carolina Christina Thunberg. Thus, Greta is distantly related to Svante Arrhenius. Japan is planning to build as many as 22 new coal plants over the next five years. The New York Times reports a sharp uptick in coal-fired power as the rest of the world eases off coal and looks to cut emissions. The projects would collectively emit as much carbon dioxide per year as all of the passenger cars sold in the U.S. Activists say that the Japanese government allowed one of the projects in Yokosuka to get the green light without proper environmental review. This came about after the country was forced to close its nuclear program because of the Fukushima disaster in 2011. The coal plants are coming as the Japanese government touts the environmental friendliness of this summer's Tokyo Olympics. There has been considerable interest locally in helping the monarch butterfly. People are planting milkweed, and the roadsides are not sprayed with Roundup. We can report that the population of monarch butterflies wintering in central Mexico is way up this year, according to new research. This winter, the coverage is 15 acres. The data was cheered about, but scientists quickly warned that it does not mean the butterflies that migrate from Canada and the United States are out of danger. This winter, researchers found the butterflies occupying 15 acres of pine and fir forests in the mountains in Mexico, an increase from six acres a year ago. A historic low occurred six years ago with an area under two acres. The sad news is that this growth has come at a great cost. Two men connected to the Butterfly Reserve in Mexico have been found dead within a week of each other, raising concerns for the safety of environmental activists in the country. Homero Gonzalez, 50, who managed a butterfly reserve in Mexico's Michoacan state and campaigned against illegal logging in the butterfly's winter habitat, was found dead in a well on January 29th, the BBC News reported. Three days later, part-time reserve tour guide Raul Romero 44 was also found dead on top of a hill in the monarch butterfly sanctuary. The population of monarchs overwintering in California has dropped from 5 million 40 years ago to 29,000 this year. This is the second year in a row of very low numbers. In a campaign to remove fossil fuel money from politics, the environmental advocacy organization Oil Change U.S. has been working to persuade political candidates to take its No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge. The organization recently celebrated its 2,000th signer to reject donations from the oil, gas, and coal industries. The 2,000th signer is U.S. Senate candidate Charles Booker of Kentucky, who's trying to unseat Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Booker is running to implement a Green New Deal with a just transition away from fossil fuels for Kentucky and the rest of the country. The pledge is seeing results lower on the ballot also. Pledge signers come from 49 states and the District of Columbia and offices at all levels from small township councils to the U.S. House and Senate. Over 50 members of Congress from 21 states have signed the pledge as have governors and other state officials. The campaign is ramping up for the 2020 election cycle, expanding the pledge in pivotal oil and gas-producing states like Colorado, New Mexico, and California. 
Opposition is growing against a proposed nuclear waste storage facility in southeastern New Mexico that would be the largest in the nation. Holtec International, a corporation specializing in spent nuclear fuel storage and management, applied for a license from the Federal Nuclear Regulatory Commission to construct and operate the facility. The proposal arose in 2011 and would mean that high-level nuclear waste generated at nuclear power plants around the country would be transported to New Mexico. Holtec says the facility would be a temporary solution to the country's growing radioactive waste problem, but no federal plan to build a permanent repository for the waste is in the works. Activists, legislators, indigenous people, and other residents are concerned. Some fear the so-called interim storage facility might become a de facto permanent one. Some worry that the site is close to oil and gas activity. Transport of high-level nuclear waste across the country could cause dangerous toxic releases. The Trump administration finalized plans last week to open public lands in Utah to the fossil fuel industry. The move completes a process begun in 2017 when the administration announced the largest rollback of land protection in U.S. history. It shrank Utah's Bears Ears National Monument by 85% and its Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument by nearly 50%. Now, the Interior Department is releasing a land use blueprint that would allow oil, gas, and coal companies to lease land for drilling and mining on almost 900,000 acres that were once part of Grand Staircase Escalante, the New York Times has reported. Conservation and Native American groups are especially outraged by the administration's action because they are in the midst of suing to block the shrinking of the monuments in the first place. The shrunken monuments include land sacred to Native American tribes and important sites for paleontological research, as well as unique, relatively undisturbed ecosystems. The groups think the courts will rule the administration's actions illegal under the Antiquities Act. Quote, It's the height of arrogance for Trump to rush through final decisions on what's left of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante. While we're fighting his illegal evisceration of these national monuments in court, end quote. Center for Biological Diversity Public Lands Director Randy Spivak said in a statement, quote, Trump is eroding vital protections for these spectacular landscapes. We won't rest until all of these public lands are safeguarded for future generations, end quote. The administration, meanwhile, presented its actions as a boon to the Utah economy against the overreach of past administrations. Former President Bill Clinton designated Grand Staircase Escalante as a national monument in 1996, while Barack Obama created the Bears Ears National Monument in 2016. Before Trump gave his State of the Union address, several environmental groups released a statement regarding Trump's environmental record. The statement claimed that Trump has the worst environmental record of any U.S. president. The statement was signed by Alaska Wilderness League Action, Clean Water Action, Defenders of Wildlife, Earth Justice, EDF Action, Friends of the Earth, League of Conservation Voters, the Sierra Club, and the Wilderness Society. The groups had released the statement ahead of Trump's speech, fearing he would greenwash his personal commitment to the environment. Quote, Donald Trump's administration has unleashed an unprecedented assault on our environment and the health of our communities. 
Donald Trump's policies threaten our climate, our air, water, public lands, wildlife, and oceans. No amount of his greenwashing can change the simple fact that Donald Trump has been the worst president for our environment in history, end quote, read the statement released by the conservation groups. Quote, Unfortunately, our children will pay the costs of this president's recklessness. Our organizations have repeatedly fought back against these attacks, and we will continue to fight to ensure that our kids don't bear the brunt of the Trump administration's anti-environmental agenda, end quote. The Firefly, Indiana's state insect, is facing extinction. Scientists have completed studies of the firefly population around the country, but the Firefly Conservation and Research Group says the population of the insects in the country is falling rapidly. The group says three factors are pushing the firefly toward extinction. The loss of natural habitat, the use of pesticides, and artificial lighting. Human encroachment on firefly territory is increasing. Whereas fireflies once had undisturbed forests and fields to live and mate in, houses with landscaped lawns and exterior lights are usurping their territories. Many fireflies use chemical reactions in their bodies to attract them to light and permit them to find mates, but light pollution interferes with their chemical cycles. Light from houses, cars, stores, and streetlights might make it hard for fireflies to signal each other during mating and so fewer larvae are born during the next season. The heavy use of pesticides on the nation's cropland also takes a toll. Last year, President Trump rolled back the Endangered Species Act, or ESA, thereby increasing the chances that thousands of species would become extinct. As the environmental advocacy organization Environmental Action put it, quote, for more than 40 years, the ESA has been the nation's bedrock conservation law, End quote. Today's legislation is in the works that would restore full protections to the ESA. The bill is the PAW, P-A-W and FIN, F-I-N, Protection Act of 2019. The name is shorthand for Protect America's Wildlife and Fish in Need of the Conservation Act of 2019. The PAW and FIN Act reverses rules that would make it easier to remove a species from the endangered list and weaken protections for threatened wildlife. It also blocks lawmakers from considering costs when deciding to list a species. The ESA has prevented more than 99% of listed species from becoming extinct. Thanks to it, the bald eagle, humpback whale, American alligator, and other animals have been brought back from the brink of extinction. The world is in the midst of a sixth mass extinction. In the last 50 years, 60% of all wild animals on the earth have become extinct. The Paw and Fin Act is critical. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sens from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about the administration's attempts to short-circuit the infrastructure approval process. A new proposal from the Trump administration would dramatically change the implementation of one of the nation's first major environmental laws. But proponents say they're just cutting red tape. Here's how the president sees it. Today we're taking another historic step in our campaign to slash job-killing regulations and improve the quality of life for all of our citizens. In the past, many Americas of America's most critical infrastructure projects have been tied up 
and bogged down by an outrageously slow and burdensome federal approval process, and I've been talking about it for a long time, where it takes many, many years to get something built, get something built, done in any way. Uh, the builders are not happy. Nobody's happy. It takes 20 years. It takes 30 years. It takes numbers that nobody would even believe. These endless delays waste money, keep projects from breaking ground, and deny jobs to our nation's incredible workers. The president is confident he's making the right move, but others who may be directly affected by the decision say they need more time to see if that's true. A coalition of 55 groups in the Great Lakes region has called for more time to review a proposed change in environmental legislation, saying the federal government is trying to push through the potentially damaging change to a law called the National Environmental Policy Act without adequate public input. The National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA as it's known, was signed into law in 1970 and is considered the United States' first major environmental law. It requires federal agencies to assess the environmental impact of proposed federal actions. The coalition says the proposed revision would weaken the law by omitting climate change impacts and narrowing the range of projects that require environmental reviews. It wants a chance to properly evaluate the proposal and the environmental effects future government projects would have on the region which is home to 21% of the world's surface freshwater. The Environmental Law and Policy Center, one of the 55 groups involved, said the rollback will short-circuit the law and restrict the public's voice. The group says Great Lakes residents want to be able to voice their concerns at a public hearing near them and a more reasonable amount of time to evaluate the major change. The groups, which range from business interest organizations to religious orders, wrote to the Council on Environmental Quality asking it to extend the comment period for the changes to 180 days and hold a public hearing somewhere in the Great Lakes region. Right now, the CEQ will allow the public to submit comments until March 10th. The council is also scheduled to hold only two hearings on the changes. The first meeting will be held in Denver February 11th, and the second will be held in Washington, D.C. February 25th. This is Mary Newmeyer, the chair of the White House Council on Environmental Quality, the agency that oversees how the NEPA law is implemented. The goal of NEPA is to ensure well-informed decision-making but the process can be unnecessarily complex, burdensome, and protracted. A lengthy process can delay or even derail important projects to modernize our nation's infrastructure, manage our federal lands and waters, and restore our environment. The Council on Environmental Quality has found that the average time for federal agencies to complete environmental impact statements is four and a half years. Further, for highway projects, it takes over seven years on average, and many projects have taken a decade or more to complete the environmental review process. These delays deprive hardworking Americans of the benefits of modernized roads and bridges that allow them to more safely and quickly get to work and get home to their families. The Environmental Law and Policy Center Executive Director said the current NEPA process gives the public a chance to learn about what effects federal projects will have on their area and gives them an opportunity to speak out against the project if its effect is undesirable. In a statement, the group's executive director spoke out against the changes. Howard A. Lerner wrote, The Midwest publicly highly values safe, clean water and healthy, clean air. NEPA is vital for ensuring that energy and transportation projects are fully and fairly evaluated and the public has a chance to engage. With this proposal, the Trump administration is limiting consideration of climate change realities and limiting public engagement. End quote. NEPA has allowed Hoosiers to learn how federal projects planned for construction in the state of Indiana will affect their surroundings and gives them outlets to speak out and shape future decisions made about the projects. The Trump administration argued that the current process slows project approvals down to a point where small improvements take decades to complete. In the past, many Americas of America's most critical infrastructure projects have been tied up and bogged down by an outrageously slow and burdensome federal approval process, and I've been talking about it for a long time. 
The United States will not be able to compete and prosper in the 21st century if we continue to allow a broken and outdated bureaucratic system hold us back from building what we need. The roads, the airports, the schools, everything. One such project is a proposed $1.5 billion I-69 Ohio River Bridge. The plan to connect existing segments of Interstate 69 through a bridge between Henderson, Kentucky and Evansville, Indiana. The project has been in planning stages since 2001, but the delay was not due to bureaucratic processes. The project has been stuck in development for nearly 20 years due to restarts caused by funding problems. In the early 2000s, federal and state agencies sought to find a spot for a crossing that would link segments of I-69, the roadway system that would connect Mexico and Canada through the U.S. By 2004, the agencies had completed NEPA-mandated draft environmental impact statements and found 10 sites on the Kentucky-Indiana border that could meet the project's needs and cause the least amount of stress to the environment. The environmental impact statement assessed the project's effect on animal life, wetland and streams, air and water quality, environmental justice, noise pollution, and the presence of hazardous materials to narrow down the sites. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency recommended the project include ways to direct highway stormwater, which often includes heavy metals, coolants, and fecal coliform bacteria, into water treatment areas before it reaches the Ohio River. The agency also recommended the bridge project include bicycle and pedestrian lanes, considering the next available lanes are 100 miles away in Louisville. The EPA also recommended that the bridge be designed to be more climate resilient, which would incorporate the likelihood of more frequent and extreme weather events. Project heads had settled on the site for the 30.2-mile bridge project when it was suspended in 2005 due to a lack of funding. When the project was revived in 2014, another environmental impact statement was required to select suitable sites. Four sites were selected as finalists. Along the way, project heads held a series of public meetings for the Henderson and Evansville residents to voice their opinions on the project and reached out to local press for additional dissemination. Project heads say they are using the 570 comments received throughout the process to make their decision on the final version of the project. The record of decision, the final version of the project, is expected sometime this year. The bridge project's NEPA process isn't unique. Since 1987, 138 federal actions of all types have gone through the NEPA process. Many have gone through the NEPA process in much shorter time frames. The Westlake Corridor Project, a nine-mile stretch of railroad linking Dyer and Hammond to an existing rail line to Chicago, took four years to go from inception to construction, including an environmental impact statement in public hearings. Section 6 of I-69, the 27-mile stretch of road that will connect Martinsville to Indianapolis, took five years to go from inception to construction. The Fowler Ridge Wind Farm in Benton County took about five years to receive four separate permits. Unless the CEQ extends the comment period, the public only has until March 10th to submit comments on the proposal. Comments can be submitted online, by fax, or by mail. We've posted a link and other commenting information on our website, indianaenvironmentalreporter.org. I'm Don Kara, And I'm David Lyman. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's own locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. 
We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experiences and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for ECA Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some local events. The Great Backyard Bird Count, a citizen scientist program run by the Audubon Society and Cornell University, runs from Friday, February 14th through Monday, February 17th. You can participate from home by recording and entering your observations. Contact David Rupp at 812-679-8978 or email him at david at indigobirding.com. That's david at indigobirding.com. Join Dale Weigel from White River Resource Conservation and Development Forestry Committee on Saturday, February 15th for a winter ID workshop at Spring Mill State Park from 9 a.m. until noon. Pre-registration is required. Call Tina Ligman at 812-278-0139 or email her at tdligman at att.net to register and for more information. The Indiana Forest Alliance is hosting its Wild and Scenic Film Festival on Sunday, February 16th at the Buskirk Chumley Theater located at 114 East Kirkwood Avenue in Bloomington. That's from 6 to 8.30 p.m. The festival will feature 10 films, two of which were produced in Indiana. There will be a full moon owl hike at the Fairfax State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, February 16th from 7 to 8 p.m. It is mating season for owls, which means it is also prime owl calling season. Register at jvance at dnr.in.gov or call 812-837-9967. Join Indigo Birding Guide David Rupp and the Sassafras Audubon Society for a bird-watching outing to Lake Monroe on Monday, February 17th from 9 a.m. to noon. Please pre-register with David Rupp at 812-679-8978. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. They are found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sanz. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. 
David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green edited it. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Don Guerra. And this is EcoReport. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.